Hallelujah. It's good to be home. Good to be home. I was... As I, as I look around this morning, I see some familiar faces, and, and I also see faces that I don't have any idea who you are. My name's Doug DeMint, and I think I'm still the pastor here. We have a board meeting this Tuesday that, that will either confirm that or not, but, but I have... My wife and I have traveled all summer, and uh, we have enjoyed a sabbatical that you provided for us. And I want you to know that um, it was a marvelous trip. We traveled about 8,400 miles, went to 20 different states. I either toured or attended or interviewed pastors from 14 different churches. Uh, we attended some Wonderful places, everything from mega churches to some very small churches. And one thing I've discovered, there is no place like Grace Assembly. There's no place like home. I was treated to hearing some marvelous worship teams, but my wife and I both commented sitting together, there's a difference between being entertained by really good musicians and being led into worship by those who have an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them. So I'm grateful. Thank you so much to our worship team for leading us into the presence of the Lord. I want to thank Pastor Jeff and Pastor Pablo and Pastor Julie and, and Mark Freeman and Pastor Larry and, and uh, I think Dan McLaughlin preached while I was away as well for, for handling the pulpit duties and the number of comments that I have had about how well everybody did. It was good for you to see the level of leadership that we have within this church on a regular basis and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I watched, I watched the very first service when we were away online and discovered I can't do that. I missed you so bad that I knew that if I watched every Sunday that it would just tear me up. So I haven't seen or heard any of the messages. We did our very best to be away and enjoy uh, some other things. And, uh, and thank you all. I, I had intended to be here last week. And uh, one of the things that we thought might happen this summer was that my wife's father would go to be with Jesus. And, and of course, the best laid plans of everything that we make, and I get back, I'm in the office for four days, and then, and then Jesus calls him home. And I struggled last week. Some of you, I, I talked to some of you, I was struggling, uh, do I stay here and preach uh, last Sunday, or do I take off and, 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 and go and be with my wife? And I was reminded that, uh, over 40 years ago, when her father brought her down the aisle to me, I promised her that I would love her and honor her and cherish her. And one of the things that I vowed was that I would stand with her in joy and in sorrow. And so I chose my wife's sorrow over being with you last Sunday, and I made the right decision. But I missed you. I'm going to start today a series that may just be this Sunday and next Sunday. I'm not sure yet. And believe me, I will do my best not to preach 12 weeks of stuff that's built up in me in one Sunday. But please be patient with me today. I've discovered as we've traveled this summer that we have a God that does unlikely things. He's the God of the unlikely, and we're going to touch on that today. One of those things being, I believe that he's raising up a Josiah-class generation I believe that the young people in this church, that there is an anointing for you for what God wants to accomplish, not only in our nation, but in our world, that he wants to lay upon your shoulder. 
And I believe that I would like to share that with you today. And if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And I want to read to you five verses as it relates to King Josiah. 2 Chronicles 34, beginning with verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Just let that sink in for a minute. Can you imagine an eight-year-old president? Just careful. <laughs> I, I think ours is 80. Thank God for this eight-year-old boy that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols, and under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut them to pieces, and the incense altars that were above them smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke into pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them, and then he burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem." Father God, we have just worshipped you, and so I've asked that you would prepare the hearts of your listeners, that the seed of the word might be planted within us in a way that we're not just hearers, but that we are obeyers and doers of your word. And we pray this in your strong name, amen. So I want to address this message. Again, I thought that last week as you were just beginning to start school again that I might be able to preach this, and we're still close enough to the beginning of the school year that this will still make sense, but I, I want to direct this message at a younger generation. So much is being thrown at you, and so much is being blamed on you, and the culture of your generation changes so rapidly that it's difficult for you to catch your breath. But I want you to know that the spiritual climate of our world, that God has a plan for you, and he will do what he desires to do if you will just learn to depend upon him and to respond to him and allow him to do things in you and through you that you might think are unlikely. It is not that we, the older generation, are not important, and I will, in future messages, talk to us, the older generation, about what our responsibilities are and the role that we play, but I want this younger generation to know that you represent God's very best effort at revival and renewal. Your obedience of stepping into the supernatural authority that God is leading you into will make a difference. And as I look at the mosaic and the beautiful tapestry of what I see before me this morning in this wonderful picture of humanity, I realize that you, the younger generation, are the hope for the church. And I believe that God is raising up a Josiah-class generation, and I believe that what we just read about today is a word for you, for this generation. And when I talk about this generation this morning, I'm including everybody who is 40 years old and younger. How many of you qualify? Now, I do know that some of you are perpetually 39. 
you've reached that age and that's all that the birthday cards you ever get and that's okay. I, I will, for those of us, I can't believe I don't qualify for this message today. I'm really struggling with that. It tells us in scripture that in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. It starts off with Josiah as a boy having a hungry heart for God. From a young age, there was a recognition within him that he did not have to attain a certain age in order to seek God. And the story of his life kind of centers around the coronation of a king. It was an unexpected coronation, a turn of events that on its face looked tragic, but it turned out to be serendipitous for the nation that he came from. Josiah was the son of a king by the name of Ammon. His father failed miserably at leading the nation of Israel toward God. In fact, Ammon became a king at 22 himself, and he ended up only serving two years because he was so hated by his inner circle that they assassinated him after 24 months. The Bible says that Ammon was a wicked king. He wasn't a good man. He was a spiritual mess. Ammon had put idols on every street corner. They were doing horrible things to children. There was sexual exploitation that was going on, demonism everywhere in Jerusalem. And it was into this culture and into this setting that Josiah was born. And it was into this culture that he unexpectedly became the king. It's important for us today, just as it was for Josiah, to understand the seasons that we are in because it gives us a context for what God wants to do and how he wants to use each of us. You need to know, church, in particular, the young people of this church, this is not a peacetime season that you are in. We are in all-out spiritual warfare and it has ramped up significantly in recent years. Our nation, I have discovered as I traveled, is under more tension right now than at any time since the 1960s that we who are the older generation understand what it was like then. And God has tasked you. Listen to me, young people. God has given you the responsibility of speaking healing to your generation. Not just for the church, but we as the church and I as your pastor am tasked with equipping you and preparing you so that as a generation you can live out the power of God to your generation and be the voice of healing and help as you live up to your spiritual potential. You will become the hands and the feet of Jesus to your generation. One of the questions that often gets asked when we use that term, well, what, is, what does that mean to be the hands and the feet of Jesus? It means this. If you were on the drama club at school, that club needs to have a different texture because you were there. If you're on an athletic team, that team needs to have a different attitude because you were there. Your college and university campus texture needs to change because you are on that campus. Your job or company that employs you needs to have a texture change when you walk on the job because the Holy Spirit living in you is there with you. And because your body 
is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you show up, God shows up. And the texture needs to change because you are there. You become the hands and the feet of the Savior that is trying to reach a brilliant generation, but a cynical generation. In fact, you are the most brilliant generation in the history of the world. Unfortunately, you're also the most distracted generation in the history of the world. You don't ever get a chance to rest from social media, from apps, from games, from entertainment. The whole culture has shifted over that. You are living in a season of information overload, and you are not provided any downtime to process it. Now, for those of us that are in the older generation, and these are some of you are way older than 40, you'll remember this. When I grew up, our TVs only had three channels, and we had to get up and turn the knob. And at midnight, listen, I know there's some of you can't believe this. At midnight, they played the national anthem, and there was a picture of the flag, and then the TV went blank. If the programming was done. It was not flicks. There was nothing. We were forced to go to bed. And our minds were forced to rest a little while and process before the early morning news. How many of you remember that? There are a lot of old people in the church. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But you live in a generation where there's no longer any margin that is built into your life. And what we find is that you're constantly bombarded with a war of ideas versus ideals. Because sometimes the wrong idea gets planted in your mind and that idea is opposite of the ideal that God wants for you to grab a hold of. And the ideas that you find in your culture today are all rooted in the idea of identity. And until you know whose you are, you will never know who you are. The greatest attack that the enemy has upon your generation is the attack of identity. And interesting enough, we tend to believe in this culture that this is new to us. And I want you to know, it's not new. Satan doesn't have any creativity to him at all. He just keeps recycling the same old things again and again to different generations. You say, well, how do you know that? Because look at the conversation that he had with Jesus when Jesus was 30 years old. He's just been baptized. He's going into the desert, and Satan says to him in Matthew 4, 3, if you are the Son of God, in other words, I'm going to attack your identity right off the bat. And this question is the one that I need you to write down and think about and pray about generation. Whose are you? Because if you don't know who you belong to, then you don't know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, then the enemy will try to define you. Satan must not be allowed to define you. Culture must not be allowed to define you. Your friends must not be allowed to define you. Your teachers and professors must not be allowed to define you. Your deficiencies and your failures must not define you. The broken moments of your life cannot define you. What defines you is the blood of Jesus Christ. He has redeemed you. He has healed you. He has freed you. And he has restored you. That is the power of your faith. 
And you must learn to fight back spiritually in wartime by declaring, I will not be defined by the worst moments of my life because it is already under the blood. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of my faith and anything in the middle we can work out with God. You tell the devil, you can read my story, but I'm not going to let you write my story. We are in wartime, and this is a fight for your faith. And the idea of faith in God is becoming a dinosaur to your generation. And honestly, you're, you're a cynical generation. And it's not your fault. Let me repeat that because we blame this generation for a lot. But the cynical attitude that they have is not their fault. It's ours. Let me remind you baby boomers. Those of you that were born between 1946 and 1964... Let me remind you what we have created for our children and for our grandchildren. We are leaving a spiritual and economic and social mess. If you're under 40, my heart grieves for the spiritual mess that my generation has given to you. You see, some of the boomers that are in this room today were teenagers during the 60s and all of the activism and all of the rebellion that we had. And we rebelled against our parental authority back then. In fact, we are the ones that created what is the generation gap. We used to think that if you're over 30, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. Then we got older. My generation invented the sexual revolution and the free love movement, the hippie movement. We blew off the constraints and we declared, why wait until marriage to have sex? Let's make sex recreational with anyone and everyone we want. And the motto was, if it feels good, do it. As a result, an unintended consequence of that was that we have ushered in abortion on demand, no-fault divorce, a dismantling of the family, and the creation of a trillion-dollar pornographic industry. On top of that... My generation ushered in and bought into materialism and self-centeredness and narcissism as an acceptable ethic of life. The activism of post-Watergate and post-Vietnam became the meism of the 70s and the greed decade of the 80s, which provided our nation and personal families a slide into personal and national debt that we now face, and boy, are we a mess today. On top of that... My generation is the one that bought into Eastern mysticism and the drug culture. Those of you who are older remember back then it was LSD and acid, but we opened the door to what we see today as a drug epidemic with mass numbers of drug-related deaths taking place everywhere. It is tearing up our cities and our small towns alike. That is what my generation is passing on to the under-40 generation, and I'm ashamed of the kind of world that we are leaving you. And so I would say to you, you may have every reason to be cynical. You have every reason to think that these problems are beyond repair and control. But what the world has not taken into account is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a rising generation that says, I will seek God for me and my generation. And here's the thing. You're different you represent to the world God saying, I do have a remnant. I do have a remnant. I love 
that the name of our youth ministry is Remnant Ministry because it is a declaration to our world that God is not done. And he says, this world is not hopeless, and I have an anointing, a special anointing on this generation to rise up. I have a remnant that knows that their generation with God is not, their, their relationship with God is not fragile. It is blood strong. So your generation needs to see you, that you're unwilling to compromise your faith for popularity. That you will outline your faith not by the words that you speak, but by the way that you live. Your generation, I have discovered this, they don't want to hear a sermon. They want to see a sermon. And you're going to be the book that they read. You are a generation that God is positioning so that when all of chaos breaks out, they'll be looking to you because suddenly there is within you a peace and a calm that they do not have. And they're going to wonder, what is it about you that makes you unafraid of everything that's happening? And you can say, I am anchored my soul to the power of God's Holy Spirit. And I will not be moved and I will not be worried because this world is not my home. I'm a citizen of another kingdom. And so we need you to be Jesus to your world. Now here's what I need you to do, those of you that are under 40. I need you to start with honoring those around you. We have discovered as we've traveled the division that is among our nation and even the division that is in our churches and there are times when we can let the pride of our relationship with God enter in and we're looking at them and going, well, I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb and you're lost and you're going to hell. Do you know that that's not the best way to win and influence people's hearts? When Jesus entered into people's lives, he started with honor. Because if you don't, then you've lost them before you begin. And so here's what I want you to do. Elevate those that don't know Christ. Elevate them beyond what they see in themselves. Send memes that build them up. By the way, when I first saw that word, I used the term Mimi, and my whole staff fell out of their chairs laughing. <laughs> it's a meme. I'm, I'm, it's a meme. <laughs> Wherever Pastor Julie is, I got it right. <laughs> I want you to send texts to those that don't know Jesus and speak life to them. You would be surprised how many are broken and hurting because of the words that are being spoken into their ears every day. I pray that your social media accounts will be peppered with words of salt and light and grace and love so that you have earned the right to speak life into them because they respect you because of the honor that you have given to them. And I commend you and I commit you to stay rooted. Stay rooted in the children's ministries of this church. Stay rooted in the youth group. Stay rooted in your small groups. Stay rooted in faithfulness to church. Parents, choose wisely what is going up the root system of your children. So Josiah started with a hungry heart, and so must you. Secondly, Josiah had a prophetic destiny. To get the full impact of this passage of Scripture that we read... You need to understand that the moment when Solomon died, his son became king. And he, unfortunately, was an insecure and an incompetent king. He was so insecure that having the choice between choosing older, wiser advisors, he chose to listen to his peer group. And in doing so, he created a division in the country that led to rebellion. The rebellion leader was a man by the name of Jeroboam, and in order to keep 
the ten tribes with him from ever going back to worship again, he needed to set up a rebellious worship center for them. And so he set up a place in the north of Israel in Dan and in the south of Israel in Bethel, or that word means the house of God. And he does this in defiance of the living God, and so he sets up golden calves because he needed to replace the presence of God with something else. Does that not sound like our world today? People are being distracted by substitutes over the presence of God. And he gave them something else to focus on that would distract them from the true God. And this, as he does it, opens the door to demonism. It led them to burn their own children in fires of sacrifice. And Jeroboam led them into horrible evil. And then we get to a scripture that talks about what happens at this altar in Bethel in 1 Kings 13, verses 1 and 2. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. As Jeroboam, this rebellious leader, was standing by the altar to make an offering. In other words, he's standing there, he's about to sacrifice to demons. And this nameless man of God, we don't even know his name, comes out of nowhere and he says this to him. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. Altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. And, and this is stunning. Listen to this. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. Now, I want you to understand in the context, this would be like somebody 13 generations ago standing here and saying, someday there's going to be a church here, and somebody by the name of Doug DeMint is going to get to be privileged to lead it. 13 generations ago. Prophetically called out by name. And in our text it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. At 16 years old, he begins to pursue the heart of God so that at 20 years old, he's ready to leave his mark. And we see in this the, the highlight of the actions that he took. He, at 20 years old, was so filled with the power of God and understanding what God wanted him to do to live out his destiny that he breaks down the altars. He digs up the bones of the priests that used to offer those uh, satanic and de demonic um, offerings to him, and he put their bones on these old altars, and he burned their bones to get rid of even the stench of demonism that was there. I believe today... God is raising up a Josiah-class generation. Your thumbprint is unique. No one on the face of the earth has it. No one will ever have it. And we need you, those of you who are under 40, those of you who are teenagers, young adults, children, we need you to leave your mark on this world for righteousness. You see, I get to speak to your generation I'm called to equip your generation, but you must speak from your generation to your generation. While I was traveling with Cindy and I, we had a chance to stay with our children and help them move into their new homes, and we allowed mom and dad at each home to, you know, we'll put the kids to bed at night. We, we want to be the ones to be with them and read to them and pray with them, and, and then we would ask our grandkids, why don't you pray for us? And the fascinating thing to me is the words that they were praying over us are the exact words I used to pray over their parents. 
and their parents are paying over, parents praying over them. And, and we're, we're hearing this generational prayer beginning to rise up even in our, in our children. There's an influence of thought that goes into the generations of prayer. Let me also encourage all of you to be back to prayer tonight because what happens in this church and what happens in this community and what happens in this next generation is strongly affected by the prayers of God's people because revival comes when you pray it in, not when you play it in. And so please join us as we speak on behalf of this generation that God would influence them. And I believe... Young people, that you are this Josiah class generation, and here's the truth. We can't wait for you to turn 45 and suddenly say, okay, God, I'm ready. The world needs you at 9. The world needs you ready at 14. The world needs you ready at 16 to be prayed up and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The world needs our college students at 20 to fill up our universities and begin to speak with power the Word of God and truth to that generation. Because if what you do at 8 and 16 and 20 affects your 40. When Josiah was a young king, when he was a boy, he had people around him that protected him. God gives to us the Holy Spirit to protect this generation. And I'm going to be really, really honest with you. So listen to me, teenagers. Listen to me, young adults. The truth is, there's going to be times when your faith is going to frustrate you. There are going to be things that you're going to want to do. That because of your faith in God, God's going to compel you not to do them. And Satan is going to whisper in your ear, Ooh, God's keeping the good things from you. Mm, if you only knew what was waiting for you, you would kick God to the curb and you would dive in. But let me, let me give you a more seasoned perspective on what is happening so that you don't get frustrated and confused. Listen, the battle of your mind as children of God in this generation is understanding this. God is not keeping something from you. He's keeping you for something. What God has put in you is so valuable that he wants to preserve you. And the reason that God does not want you to be in certain environments or to participate in certain activities and be in certain relationships is because what he has given you is too valuable to be made common. You are not being hidden and protected because God is ashamed of you. You are being hidden because God is preserving you and preparing you. You are a Josiah generation with a Josiah anointing. You are royal by nature. You're phenomenal by design. And with the help of God, you will be unstoppable because there's nobody like you. And at the age of 16, when Josiah's friends were out getting their driver's licenses for chariots, Josiah decided that it was more important that he steward what God had given him. And he began to seek the bloodline. I find it interesting in Scripture. It says in the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek the God of his father David. Now, we all know that his earthly father was Ammon. But there was a spiritual design in his life that he began to recognize that was more powerful than his physical bloodline. Some of you today may be here and you're going, you know, I, I come from a bloodline that I'm not proud of. There are proclivities, there are addictions, there are things. Listen, every family has secrets. But God will not allow the brokenness of your family 
and of your past to define your future. Josiah said, my earthly father was not a good man, but what plagued him does not have to plague me. You might not have come from the best circumstances, but God can redeem any situation that you will put within his hands. And so he took responsibility. Now, we call, we call stewarding the gift of God, we call that today holiness. You choose to do the right thing. You choose to be holy, even if nobody else is making those decisions. And so at 16, he sought the bloodline of his father. Would somebody please go and get the kids and, and, and prepare to bring them up from Children's Church? I believe with all of my heart that God has chosen me for such a time as this to speak wisdom into another generation, to begin to connect with you at levels of relationships and friendships so that we who are the older generation can, can stand alongside of you and encourage you because someday you're going to be the older generation. But the gift of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be given to you for the purpose of not just to survive. We need the power of the living God to thrive in this generation. There is a Josiah class anointing that rests upon this young generation and even though we may not have left you with a great world, God is leaving you with his Holy Spirit who will walk with you, talk with you, lead you, guide you, empower you. And through your hands, God will do great and mighty works. It doesn't matter whether you go into occupational ministry or whatever you do. You are an anointed generation. And God has not given up on this world because he's not given up on you. And so I'm going to ask everybody, the instruments, if you'd please come. And I want to call everybody under the age of 40. And if you're right on the border and you're 63 and you feel like you should be up here, come on up too. <laughs> everybody under 40, 40 and under, would you please stand and make your way to the front? And if you could make room for these beautiful kids that are coming down the aisle. I need you to push up close and I need you to face me. Push up here close and look at me, kids. Take it all the way wall to wall. Wow. Squeeze in. We all thought about putting deodorant today. We're good. Come on. Move on up. Let's get close. Squeeze all the way out to the wall over here. There's a little more room over on the side over here. Can't wait to talk to you about a place that's got a little more altar room than this that we're heading. Come on up. I need some of you to move this way so that you don't get stuck out in the, in the aisles. There's more room over here if you guys can squeeze together a little bit farther over here. Because I want to share with you a couple of things really quickly. Kids, there were two things that King Josiah at 8 years old and at 16 years old and at 20 years old had to overcome. First of all, he had to conquer a bad attitude. 
it would have been very, very easy for that young man to look at the condition of the culture around him and say, it's hopeless. Nothing can be done. But he chose not to give in to the attitude of defeat of everybody around him. I'm asking you, in the most cynical generation that has ever existed, would you please not give in to the attitude that the world is hopeless? Because if you do that and start going down that rabbit hole, it removes you from the ability of the anointing that God wants you. He wants to place on you a call and an ability to touch your generation. So overcome a bad attitude. And secondly, you're going to have to conquer your affections. Josiah did not secretly give in to the sins that he was called to confront. We live in a day and age where secrets run rampant. It's easy to live secret lives. It's easy to live double lives. I'm calling you. I'm calling you not to secretly love what God hates. I'm calling you to stand up and confront the very things that the world is diving into and you're going, but they're going to make fun of me. That's what your church is here to support you for. We will pray for you and we will surround you in prayer. Because the Lord is telling you in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And the result of winning the battle over your attitude and affection is this, found in 2 Kings 23, 25. This is what they spoke of Josiah. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, in accordance with all of the law of Moses. This is about legacy. I just want you to know, do you know how healthy this is, church? Do you know how healthy this is? I won't talk about other churches right now. I'm just glad. This is healthy. This is healthy. What a future we've got. Would you stand with me as we pray? A prayer of dedication over this generation that God has allowed to be called for this Josiah anointing. And if you'd stretch out your hands, if you would, please. Our Father and our God, we recognize the place where we are in history. We recognize the place where we are in seasons, that this is a wartime spiritual warfare season. And you have brought these children and these teenagers and these young adults and, and, and the, up to 40s, you have called them and created them for such a time as this. They were not created for hopelessness and helplessness. They were created with a prophetic anointing, a Josiah class anointing available to them. So that in the middle of what we have left them in this mess, they can rise up and declare, I am full of the power of the Holy Spirit, and I have a word of life to declare to my generation. And they can live it with clarity and speak it with confidence and stand even in moments where they feel all alone with the security blanket of your Holy Spirit surrounding their shoulders. Oh, God. The scripture says, for God so loved the world. He didn't say that there are certain generations that are hopeless. He said, I love the whole world. And in the middle of chaos, I will raise up a Josiah at eight years old who will be king at 16, seeking my heart, and at 20, left his mark on the world. 
And today I am raising up children and young adults and teenagers to make a mark on this world. So we, Lord God, ask that you would protect them, that you would keep them. Many of them were dedicated as children. And Lord, we pray that same prayer, that you would protect them physically, mentally, and spiritually and bring them to the full potential of the anointing that you desire for each and every one of them. That Syracuse, New York, and our world could be changed because they are world changers filled with the Spirit of God. We commission them at this new school year to change the texture of every place they go because the Spirit of God lives within them. And we pray this in the powerful, strong name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen and Amen. Give them a round of applause. Love you. Proud of you. And now I need you to clear this middle aisle so that these kids can go back to the cafe so that their parents will have a secure place where they can pick them up. If you just stay right in your seats, please. What a sight. Can I tell you it's good to be home? It's good to be back. It's good to see your face. What wonderful joy we have in watching God unfold His will through a new generation. By the way, kids, the time is coming when we old people are going to be here and you're going to be laying hands on us, so just get ready because we've got a job to do as well. Would you stand with me one more time and let me pray for you. Father, I'm grateful for the summer that you gave my precious wife and I. I'm grateful, Lord, for the call of God. And if there's anything I learned that summer, it's this. The passion and call for the ministry is stronger now than it's ever been. Would you bring revival to Grace Assembly in a new dimension? Would you let us pray that the will of God would be fulfilled in all of our lives as well as in our children and our grandchildren? Lord, please, you told us that in the last days you would pour out your spirit. Would you just begin to open the top of this place so that we can receive all that you have for us, so that we can be participants in what you want to do? And we're grateful for this day when we can watch that Josiah anointing being applied to those that will follow us. Now let us go in the joy of the Lord and spread the life of Christ wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. You have a marvelous day. We'll see you tonight at prayer at 6 o'clock. God bless.